Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Girly Homesteader podcast. Today is another installation of Homestead Girl Talk. And so today I have a wonderful interview with my Instagram friend named Jen. We get into lots of topics, but she basically tells us her story um, about how her homesteading life has has definitely ebbed and flowed um, throughout her life. And then we also get into... (laughs) Um, some food preservation and just whole like overarching views on homesteading. It's a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to season two of the Girly Homesteader podcast. I'm your host, Laura, a girly homesteader living in Xenia, Ohio with my husband, chickens, bees, and garden. This is my second year homesteading, and in 2023, I am hoping to hone some of the skills I learned in 2022, specifically in the garden and kitchen. This podcast is meant to be a bridge between nature-centered homesteading and the more girly aspects of being a woman, like non-toxic skincare, makeup, and hair care. So if you're looking for a lifestyle podcast that also talks about random aspects of homestead life, like dirty chicken feet, being attacked by bees, monthly garden goals, food preservation ideas, and sourdough that doesn't always rise, you're in the right place and you've found a girlfriend in homesteading. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Beauty Counter, the non-toxic skincare brand that I've been using for over two years now and has absolutely saved my skin. As a homesteader, you put so much thought into your gardening and animal husbandry practices because you know the benefits to your health, but your skin is your largest organ. So when you switch to non-toxic products, you can improve your health even more than what you've already done so far through homesteading. Click the link in the show notes to shop with me. All right. Well, hi, everyone. So today I have the second, I guess, edition of Homestead Girl Talk. And today I'm going to be interviewing my Instagram friend named Jennifer. So Jennifer, could you please introduce yourself? So I'm Jennifer. I um, am a mom of six kids. My husband and I have been married for 28 years, and we live in rural New Hampshire. All right. So I, okay, I have to admit, I'm terrible with geography. I know where (laughs) New Hampshire is, kind of, but like, how cold does it get there? It's cold right now. It's already pretty nasty. Um, it's snowing and raining and it's snowing. Oh yeah, we have like at least three or four inches on the ground. It started last night. Um, it's oh. just nasty. It'll get really cold. It's not unusual for it to get negative twenty five thirty overnight during the winter. Oh my gosh! And see, I was being a baby last Christmas where we got to be like zero. <laughs> for a few yeah, days. no. It got really cold um, last winter that my fruit trees didn't do so great this spring because it just got too cold for them. Okay. Yeah, we didn't get any peaches this year because of it. So during Christmas, when it was like zero here, how cold was it at your house? It was definitely, I'm trying to remember, it was definitely below zero. It was cold. We had some really cold days last year. Oh, wow. So then during the summertime, how warm does it get there? Pretty warm, to be honest with you. We had some really hot days this summer, Um, enough where we have an air conditioner in our bedroom and the kids all have an air conditioner in their room. So it it doesn't last long, but it still gets hot. Okay. So what zone are you then? Well, that's always my question. So we Uh live in a rural town. Um, We're pretty elevated. So I think it depends on... Some places would tell us it's 5B and others will tell us it's 5A, I believe. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so, so you are you are way more north. Oh, yeah. and right now with the time change, when does it get dark? Early, really oh, early. No. It's 4.30, 4 to 5, it's dark. Not my favorite time of year. Oh, man. Wow. So, yeah, you are totally different than our climate down here. Yeah. Completely yep. different. Yeah. Wow. So then what do you have going on right now on your homestead? 
So, so our, our, our uh, journey to being homesteaders has looked very different um, with a few starts and stops along the way. Um, we started back in 2012. So part of the reason why we started was um, our oldest son had been diagnosed with celiac. And um, once he was diagnosed, we found out that four of us, four out of the eight of us have celiac. And so we started looking at labels because you have to be so careful. And we just started realizing that we wanted to have um, as much of our own food as possible, you know, for the family. And so we started our little homestead and we started small and then we got really big, really quick, probably too fast, um, kind of flying by the seat of our pants, learning a lot as we went. And we, our daughter wanted to do working steer with 4-H. And so we thought, okay, well, we'll get a pair of steer. She can raise them. She can train them. She can do 4-H. And then when they reach 18 months old, we'll harvest them for the family. And then, you know, she'll get another round. And we did this for like, I want to say four or five years. And we had hens and turkeys and ducks and geese. And we raised pigs at the same time. Um, and we got super big. And then we ended up getting um, two mama cows that we bred and we, we had some calves born on the farm. So at our biggest, we had nine um, cattle and then turkeys and pigs and all the chickens over a hundred birds. And then our life kind of took a, took a turn and things got crazy. And I, after being a stay-at-home mom for 17 years, went back to work teaching and our kids, we weren't homeschooling anymore, so someone wasn't home all the time helping with the animals. And we just we just went through some really financial hard times. And so we made the really hard decision to close everything down, to just sell all of our animals and shut down. And it was super hard, and it was super sad. And our girls were really invested. Um, we have three girls and three boys, and the girls were very invested, the boys not so much. And so I want to say it was the winter of 2016, the beginning of 2017, that we sold all of our animals and it was really heartbreaking. Um, but in hindsight, it was probably the best thing we could have ever done. Our life really, um, the next couple of years were pretty challenging. Our oldest, who was the first to be diagnosed with celiac, also ended up being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so we went through the whole process of who else had it? Who else needed surgery? You know, it was a big, a big thing. My husband had some health issues. Um, and through all that, we really have come back to this where we really want to have our own, as much of our own meat, as much of our own vegetables, as much of our own fruit as we can. Because, you know, once you have some serious medical diagnoses like that, you start looking into, you know, what has caused it and, you know, how could this have happened? And, you go down a rabbit hole of what our food, you know, really looks like and really is in it. And so we are by no means experts, but this was our fourth summer of raising meat birds. And I pretty much do the bulk of that and I love it. And now we have, um, we're back to getting layers. We have them and my husband pretty much does all the care of the layers and I don't know that we'll do cattle again. They're a lot of work. And without a ton of property, you need to buy a lot of hay. But we are looking into goats for next year, probably dual purpose ones so we can get some milk and get some meat. Okay. So, so we kind of had a lot of stops and starts, but we're, we're back on our way towards that. Yeah. Now, when you had to sell your animals, did you have to sell your property too at that time? We didn't. Okay. So Good. We have just about eight acres and we've lived in this okay. house um, for 18 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, people always, I don't know, I feel like the general consensus is that people go into homesteading thinking, oh, it's going to be cheap and I'm going to save so much money. It's but not. It's not. And it's a time, in, it's a financial investment and a time investment. And I mean, yeah, sometimes you just have to be realistic about what you can handle both right time-wise you know and financially but I'm glad that you didn't have to sell your property because that's pretty much impossible to find anymore I mean oh. what is the climate like up like the real estate climate like up there we would not be able to find what we have now again oh, yeah. we yeah. have a beautiful house um 
again, we have a big family. We have five bedrooms. It's it suited us perfectly. It has an open floor concept. We're in the woods where no one can see our house from the road, which we love. Um, we're just under eight acres. So we we joke about it all the time that we would never be able to find anything for what we have now, for what we paid for it, or the interest rates or anything. So we're here until we die. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. So your kids were all, uh, they all grew up there in your home? They did. Um, out of our six kids, four of them still live at home. Okay. So yeah. you said that the girls were more into the animals than the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Is that just just because, or I don't know, are the boys, what are the boys interested in? So our boys help out, you know, they definitely, um, our oldest is uh, almost 27. So he lives on his own. He's really good to always come home and help us with whatever we need. Um, Our second son is um, 25. He still lives at home and he's wonderful. He, you know, he's our mechanic, whatever needs to be done. He's right there. He's always helping us. Um, Does he love it? No. You know, it's not his favorite thing to do, but he's so, so helpful. Our girls really love the animals and um, our boys' girlfriends, they spend a lot of time over here and they're the same thing. They'll go out in the chicken coop and they'll hold the chickens and they'll, you know, play with the ducks when they, when we can catch them. Um, And they are definitely more interested in it. Um, Our girls would bottle feed our calves and, you know, take care of the animals with us that way. The boys, they're more into, you know, dirt biking and motorcycles and, you know, that kind of stuff, but they're super helpful. And they, you know, we have a big, beautiful garden now that my husband built, built me. That's it's a raised bed and it's fenced in because living in rural New Hampshire, something was always getting into my garden. I'm assuming you have deer like crazy, like crazy there. Although of course now we're hunting and trying to get one and we can't, but there, our field is always filled. Um, so yeah, we had to raise, so they love the fruits of the labor. <laughs> you know, they love all the fresh yeah. vegetables and the fresh fruit. And, you know, we have apple trees and we have blueberry bushes and um, we have uh, plum trees, pear trees, and cherry trees. Um, this year was not a great season. We had a lot, a lot of rain. So our apples, and we had a really late frost. So our apples didn't mm-hmm. do great. But the chickens loved them, so we cut them up and fed them to them. So then your kids, do they, like, growing up that way? Because, I mean, I grew up in the city, and yep. so this is foreign to me. So your kids, having grown up that way, do they want to, like, have they voiced whether they want to continue this type of lifestyle? Or are they like, I need to move to the city? Um, when they were younger, they were all about moving to the city. They were going to go and experience life. Now I'm from the city. I grew up in New York and my husband grew up in New Jersey. So this is not a lifestyle we grew up. So this is us learning how to do it hands-on. Um, originally they wanted to move away. I don't, they don't seem that way anymore. Um, my second son would love us to subdivide the property and build a house right here on our land. You know, Mm -hmm. he wants to stay close. Our daughter, who is married, um, unfortunately, they haven't been able to find a house in their budget to buy, but she would have chickens and goats and ducks, and she'd have everything, I think. Um, And our other children, I think because our family has been through some significant losses, challenges over the past five years, that they've really come to the realization of how valuable it is to have family and to have people close by. Mm -hmm. And so I honestly, I mean, I guess anything could happen, but I can't see any of them moving away, Okay, you know, or having a significantly different lifestyle. So then how far away are you from like a big quote unquote city? From a big city, um, the town we live in has a library, a police department and a post office, and that's it. Um, But I live, I work, I I work for a public school. I'm a special education director, um, which is the next town over. And it's, it's not huge, but it's not little. I would say the biggest town, like real town would be Lebanon, New Hampshire or Concord. And they're both about 35 minutes away. Oh, okay. So yeah, you guys are much more 
further out than like we are. Okay. That helps me get like kind of a idea. Cause I mean, rural can mean so many different things to different right. people. Cause like I live 10 minutes away from Costco yet I'm surrounded by farm fields. And if you look like out our front door, it looks like we're out in the sticks, but we're not really. But to most people in like Dayton, which is our biggest city, you know, right. Biggest close city. They think that we're just like out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but we're not. Um, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot more rural places in New Hampshire, but where, um, you know, when people are like, oh my God, goodness, you're out there. I mean, we're on a dirt road, uh-huh. you know, they're like, you are way out there. Um, but honestly, I'd love it. So then how do you get out when it snows? I have to say the town is pretty good. Um, my husband has a huge tractor, so we have a, like a 350 foot driveway. So he's pretty good going out there. Um, because quite a few of us work for the education system, if it's bad, there's no school and we don't have to go out. Um, my husband works from home, so he doesn't have to travel. Um, so that's good. I will say our road is probably one of the last ones to be plowed. So sometimes it's a little sketchy getting off our hill. Um, (laughs) the main road, I say main road, it's, you know, it is a two lane road, um, they're not terrible. It depends, you know, when you're in our town, it's a little worse than when you travel to, you know, you're still on the same road, but the next town over, it's a little bit better. And we live, people joke, the town that we live in has its own climate. I mean, <laughs> we could be getting six inches of snow and two towns over are, are not even getting any. Okay. You know, so it really depends on, New Hampshire is a, is a a wonderful place to live, but it is odd because due to the elevation, you know, you have houses down in the valleys that aren't going to get anything. And then up on the mountains, you know, we've got a blizzard and two towns away. They're like, what? Why? Yeah. You know, you you don't have school. It's just raining. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm amazed that you have snow. That yeah. blows my mind. So then do you, because sometimes you get stuck, do you can, do you preserve food? Like, you know, say you do have snow right now. So say yeah. you couldn't get out to prep for Thanksgiving. Cause of course, when we're recording this, it's the day before Thanksgiving. Um, like what would, would you have food? To oh, get yes. Okay. We, oh, absolutely. So, um, I'm not going to lie. The pandemic made it, made us worse in this area of making sure that we have enough food, but we have always been one of those people, um, that have always been prepared. Um, I'm quite a bit older than you, so we lived through the whole Y2K, you know, and making sure that you you were prepped and ready to go. And so, life. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my kids were babies, and so we really thought about, like, oh, goodness, what happens if it really does shut down? We need to be mm-hmm. prepared. And so um, I can honestly say we have four freezers in the basement filled with, mil- filled with meat. Um, we... My pantry, I'm in the process right now of of trying to get rid of, like, go through the older stuff and get rid of it. So I haven't bought any new canning, um, canned goods or stuff like that because I really want to rotate all that out and then start again. I did not do any canning this summer. We just didn't have the, the um, harvest like we have in the past. But last summer, I canned um, a ton of jam. I canned... Um, what was it? Blackberry, raspberry, strawberry. I made some plum preserves Mm -hmm. and I had canned some green beans, but we just didn't have a big enough harvest this year to do it. As quick as the green beans and, and vegetables came in, we ate them. Yeah. But we are prepared. We do have a wood burning stove. We do have a full house generator. Um, That's what I was going to ask you because before freezers, I mean, we have Like we have a deep freezer, a chest freezer, and then we have a fridge in the basement. So, I mean, we have a decent amount of meat that could go bad. So do you have any tips then? I mean, apart from having a a generator, do you have any tips, I guess, for keeping the freezers organized? I try, you know, I'll be honest with you, because there's so many people that live in this household still, you know, people are always going through the freezers and pulling stuff out. What I'll often do is like every six months, I have little whiteboards that are magnetic and I'll take everything out of each freezer and I'll write on the whiteboard. Okay. I have 
30 packages of, of pork chops, 15 mm -hmm. packages of bacon, and I'll put that on the front of the freezer. And then if everybody follows my rules, they're supposed to mark it when they, when they take it out. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, right now we have a lot of meat because one of the things, and I always encourage people to do this if they can't, if they don't have the resources on their own property. So we no longer raise pigs because when we shut everything down, we sold, we had just built a beautiful pig pen and a beautiful house for them. And so we gave it to friends of ours. And so what we do now is I raise all the meat birds and they raise the pigs. And then in the fall, um, when we harvest everything, whoever owes the other money for how much it costs to do it, we swap. So hmm. they, I raised 30 chickens for them. They raised a pig. When I deduct what it costs for both, we'll owe them $400. But we've gotten a full pig in our freezer. Wow. And so it's a really nice way to do it when you, when you can't raise pigs on your own. But I can definitely do the chickens. And right. so right now we have a full pig in the freezer. And the same um, friends also will um, we'll get a, a half a cow from them in, I believe, December or January. So we have a lot of meat. So we just decided, and I'm one of these people that if it's on sale, I buy, you know, I don't normally buy meat, but if it's on sale, I do get it to fill our freezer. And so we're kind of in a spending freeze right now. I want to go through a lot of the meat in our freezers and, and start going through that before I buy more. But I'm not going to lie. I struggle with that because I like knowing that I have all that meat. And I like knowing that, um, if anything were to happen, we have plenty of food to feed our family. Yeah. So that's my, that's how I try to keep it organized. I also keep like my chicken in one freezer, the pork is in another and the beef is in another. And it oh, just helps to, to know what, what we have. Um, we live in new England. So if we're going to lose power due to a storm, if I don't have any power, I can throw my meat outside. You know, it's, it's going to stay cold. We actually have a huge screened in porch that does not have heat in it. And so um, sometimes that's where I have to put stuff to keep it cold. Okay. okay. That's, that's good advice. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I, I was just at Costco and I saw this beautiful upright freezer and I want it so bad, but, and I told my husband about it cause it has, it looked like it even had like drawers in it. It looked yeah. beautiful, but without having a generator, I just thought, you know, that's just too risky because that's what would happen. You know, I'd get this beautiful freezer, I'd fill it up and then we'd lose power. And yeah, up here in New Hampshire, it's, it's almost vital to have, um, to have a generator. We, okay. we didn't always have one. Um, so my youngest son who was adopted, um, was born really premature and had some significant medical issues. He's 18 now. But he had a trach and a feeding tube when he was a baby. And so if we lost power, we lost um, the ability to run his equipment. Mm -hmm. And so when he was really little, anytime we lost power, we'd have to call the fire department and they would bring us a generator to make sure that all of his equipment ran so that he would have oxygen and everything he needed. And after doing that a few few times for like a year or two, we decided we really needed a full house generator. We needed something that was going to um, be attached to our propane line. And just when the electricity goes out, it comes back on. We have, it's not, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's not totally unusual for us to have no power for three or four days. So, yeah. um, so for us, a full house generator was something that we really felt was necessary for, for, to run our home. Mm -hmm. And then you said you have the wood, wood burning stove too. Yes. Okay. So that keeps you warm and then the generator keeps your food cold. <laughs> right. Yeah. The the wood burning stove is in our is out in our sunroom because we like to use it as a full season, but it's a big one. So if we don't have power and we don't wanna um run the heat high, we just turn that on and open the doors and the window and it'll warm up pretty much our whole upstairs. Wow. We'll warm. Okay. Wow. So yeah, that is I it's been on our list to get a generator for a couple of years now. And of course, now we're getting into winter, which is when we would definitely need it. But okay, maybe in 2024, <laughs> we get to it. <laughs> so I think that having meat 
as like just on standby ready to go i think that was a huge thing for us just to make sure that we continue to eat healthy meals so it seems like you agree with that too right because if you have your protein you can just throw anything together right absolutely that is a big thing in our house we um i'm not gonna lie i like sweets and i like making homemade cookies and cakes and with us having celiac you know it's just cheaper and easier to just bake the stuff myself i know exactly what's in it and um i know we're not going to get glutened but my husband pretty much only eats clean you know he eats Mm -hmm. protein and vegetables and dairy so we go through a lot of meat and so i agree with you the protein is so important to have and, you know, every day I keep, he goes out and I keep hoping he's going to get a deer, you know, so that we can just, because deer meat is so good. You know, it's low in fat, high in protein. It's, it's a good source of, um, good way to feed your family, you mm-hmm. know? And so I definitely agree that having the meat is, is one of the most important things for us. Yeah. So was that one of, cause you know, when you guys were going through these health, I guess, discoveries, I could say, figuring out celiac and the thyroid issues, what was like the biggest thing in your diet that you thought made, or what was the thing in your diet that you thought made the biggest difference? <sighs> Taking out as much carbs as we were eating and oh, putting okay. in the protein. We were big um, rice and potatoes. You know, I grew up on Long Island in an Irish family, you know, everything's meat and potatoes. And so we've for us, our goal is to get more protein in. And like I said, I, I eat a piece of chocolate probably every day. And I like, I like dessert and I like that. But I'm finding that um, the protein really is what helps me to feel better, to feel strong. Um, my husband has been on a real health journey since it's been almost a year now. And he is probably doing everything that the doctors would say is not the right thing to do. He eats the whole whole milk whole fat cheeses. He only eats uh, meat and vegetables, very limited fruit, no sugar whatsoever. And he has lost almost a hundred pounds and he looks amazing. He feels amazing. He works out every day. Um, he's 59 and is probably the healthiest he's been since we've been the 30 years that we've been together. Mm-hmm. So for that and just realizing how much junk is in our food, you know, and I almost hate it now that I know because now I feel yeah. like I can't buy things. A big thing that we also took out is no seed oils. Okay. And I know that's controversial, but that's a real, my husband has no seed oils whatsoever. I, I'm probably 90% of the time I don't have them, but what a difference it has made. And now once you know, I mean, I go into the grocery store and I read the labels and I cannot believe how much junk is in our food and how much of the food that we eat in the United States is banned in other countries, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's almost like, you know, once you know better, you do better. And so we're definitely not perfect in this area, but really striving to have more of a clean diet for all of our family. And that even includes like um, shampoo and soap and cleaning products. You know, we're trying, Mm -hmm. especially when you have um, conditions, the endocrine conditions, and you read all of these additives, how they're endocrine disruptors, and they mess, you know, mess up your whole body. And so we're, I'm not going to lie, I wish I had known this 20 years ago when my kids were little and maybe had done things differently. But I feel like any time that you can make a change, it'll definitely impact your physical well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, doctors, they keep promoting the exact opposite of what actually has made a change for your family and what makes change for most people. Exactly. It drives you bonkers. Yeah. I mean, like my husband's work every year, they have like a health fair. And so you go and you get just like a basic biometric screening. and. I, like your husband, I eat all of the meat, all of the butter. I don't eat much dairy, except for like milk, I guess I should say. But, you know, I eat the full fat everything. Lots of meat. We have bacon every single weekend or sausage every single weekend. I go get my blood drawn and it's spectacular. But if I would tell these people, because like they'll say, oh, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. And I'm like, well, if I told you what it was, you would have a heart attack. 
but it just it's not yeah it's all that fake crap that's what's making our blood work terrible yeah (gasps) that's exactly what what is going on with my husband as well he um he he's off all the medications he was on his blood work comes back great and they just keep saying same as you just keep doing what you're doing and he's like i i don't even tell them what i'm doing because they won't believe me they won't believe that i'm doing the total opposite and yet having such a difference you know he went from almost 300 pounds to 195 pounds wow that's significant you know um he went from not being able to really go for a walk to walking a mile on the treadmill every day and work lifting weights. And, and I would say the major part of it was changing his diet. Wow. Yeah. So, um, okay. So then what all he eats a lot of vegetables, he said. So do you like back to your freezers? I'm just very in love with the concept of our freezers. (laughs) Do you freeze any produce? I know you said that last season or this past season, you didn't get a ton to preserve, but do you do any freezing? I haven't done a lot of freezing. Um, Again, we're such a big family that my garden only produced enough that like literally I would pick the green beans and we ate them for dinner. You know, my hope is that this year it'll be different. Um, We had the summer of rain in New Hampshire this year. I mean, my raised bed garden was flooded. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We just, it just rained nonstop this whole summer. It was, there was not a lot of rain. Um, I'm on a lot of um, Facebook groups for New Hampshire farming and everybody was like, oh, my tomatoes have rot. My, you know, it was just a really rough year. My hope is that this upcoming year, it'll do much better. And I'm going to focus on the foods that I know we'll eat. You know, I've tried to do some exotic things and, um, I, what did I, oh, the tomatillos. I grew them last summer and I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, but my family wouldn't eat them. (laughs) So it was like, you know, so this coming year, I think I'm really, I I bought your garden planner and Uh I'm going through it all. And I bought a book yesterday. I can't remember the name of it. I actually left it in my car, but it was specifically for gardening in New Hampshire. Oh, cool. And so I'm going to focus on what I know we'll eat so that we can get plenty and so that I can save it. Yeah. So then what is the setup of your garden like? Because with eight acres, you probably have a decent amount of space, right? That, right? I do have a lot of space for a garden. Um, my husband built me a raised bed garden that's completely fenced in. And I want to say it's 12, 12, 12. I want to say it's like 36 by 36. Awesome. And I have... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think there's about 12 raised beds in there, <gasps> which is really, and it's beautiful and it's all fenced in. And he had a sign um, that hangs from it that says Jen Zen because he knows Aww. I love gardening. Um, I'll have to send you a picture and let you see what it looks like. It's really beautiful. Um, but I have lots of space to do more. So my my hope is this summer is to do all of my potatoes outside of the raised bed. Okay. Um, I don't want to waste up my space in my raised beds for potatoes. So I want to do potatoes. And this sounds silly, but I want to do like a 10 by 10 thing just of sunflowers because I love just the way they look. Um, And I'm hoping to get more raspberry bushes. My raspberry bushes didn't do good this past year. My blueberry bushes did well. Um, And I'm hoping my fruit trees will do much better this year. So now are the berry bushes in the fenced area? They're not. Okay. Um, we do net them though. Uh, because the birds this year, we didn't put them up yet. We bought it for next year. We bought like a whole tunnel system of netting that'll go over the blueberry bushes because between uh-huh. the trees and the squirrels and everything else, they'll, it'll be gone if we don't yeah. protect them. Okay. So then what are the favorite things then that you guys will eat the most of? My family loves green beans and they're easy to can. So that's a good Mm -hmm. one. Um, Tomatoes. We go through tomatoes like crazy. It's funny when my kids were younger, I used to make tomato sauce from scratch and I would can it and then life got busy, but they just recently asked me, will you start making uh, tomato sauce again from scratch? So I think I'll start doing that. Um, 
peppers. We love peppers. Um, my husband makes a really good homemade salsa. So we, we try to do several different types of peppers, tomatoes, green beans, snap peas. They love, um, basil because mm-hmm. basil, I did plant garden. Uh, I planted garlic three weeks ago for the first time ever. So oh, we're big, I know we're a big garlic family. So that's in the raised bed and I covered it all up with some shredded leaves. So I'm hoping that'll do well. Um, trying to think what else we love squash too okay so those are those are the five or six things that I think I'll focus on this year so you like a lot of the warm weather stuff yeah which New Hampshire's not great yeah tiny (laughs) tiny windows so then gosh when do you start like your seedlings for tomatoes so my seedlings I started I want to say in March and I do have a little setup with grow lights then uh-huh. I start them inside, but we cannot put outside till Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day. Oh, wow. Yep. We could probably put like lettuce and peas and cabbage and carrots. We can start sooner. But at, for the most part, Memorial Day is the rule of thumb in New Hampshire to, to get your garden in the ground. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Our rule of thumb is Mother's Day. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I mean, it's still May, but... Right. Wow. I know I'm so jealous of people that live down south and they're like, oh, we're starting our fall garden. I'm like, there's no fall know, garden like right now. Here. Yeah. Huh. So, okay. So do you have a favorite tomato that you like to grow for paste, like for making sauces? We usually just do plum tomatoes. Um, okay. That's what I've always done in the past. Um, this year, again, wasn't a great year. My kids love the tiny little cherry tomatoes or any, you know, any breed or type that's the little yeah. ones, um, especially the cluster ones. And of course, the name of them isn't coming to mind, um, but they love those. And again, I'll, I'll pick stuff and I put it on the kitchen counter. And before I even get to do something, somebody's eating them off. And I was like, oh, I was going to make, you know, a salad with that. Or I was going to do that. Um, we did grow our own lettuce this year. and. It actually was really good, you know, and that was something that I did plant in the fall. Okay. So do you guys like salad? Oh, we would eat salad every day. I'm lazy and I don't, I don't make it as often as I should, but my, everybody would eat it every day if I made it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think that salad is like the biggest money saver of all the things. Cause You know, you go to the grocery store and the boxes are getting smaller and smaller now, but you pick up your box of spring mix and it's like six dollars mm-hmm. and it's gonna go bad before most people eat it. I yeah, yeah greens and also greens are easy to grow too. Yes. They're so underrated in the garden. Yeah, I love we love salad. And then you can add protein to it and you add cheese and you add some fruit and it's perfect. Uh-huh. Um, so then did your kids grow up liking vegetables? They did all but one. Okay. So my oldest was, he was a challenge with food. And to this day, he will not eat a tomato. He loves tomato sauce. He loves pizza. He loves chili. He does not like actual tomatoes. He does, it's a texture thing. Okay. Um, I will say that we've always eaten pretty healthy, even though I didn't think we did. My kids will joke and they'll say, mom, when we go to other people's houses, you wouldn't believe what we have. So we've always been very, um, I think a lot of it was when my kids were younger and I was a stay-at-home mom, we didn't have a lot of money. And so I didn't buy a lot of junk food and I didn't buy the prepackaged food or the cereal. It just was, it didn't fit in the budget. And so um, my kids pretty much grew up, you know, breakfast was scrambled eggs or oatmeal. Um, Lunch was, you know, either a sandwich or the leftovers from the night before, you know, in a thermos that they took to school or yeah. homeschooled for many, many years. So, you know, I just made food. Um, um, there were times, you know, before the celiac diagnosis, it wasn't uncommon for us to have chicken nuggets and French fries because it was an easy, quick meal. Yeah. But they were diagnosed 13 years ago. So for the most part, we can't even buy processed food because... It's not gluten-free and the gluten-free processed food is so full of sugar. So, okay. So I I make most of it at home. Yeah. So with celiac, like 
you guys will react really bad and really quick, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've chatted a little bit about sourdough and gluten-free baking. So you <laughs> said that recently that you had to give up on it? I did. I, I'm still making um, gluten-free bread in my bread machine. And actually, I made a loaf on Sunday for the first time I bought the King Arthur gluten-free bread flour and made all the difference in the world. The loaf was huge and delicious. What a difference. So now I, that's I've learned. But with the gluten-free sourdough, the the it was coming out okay. I mean, everybody was saying it was delicious, but I was finding it was a lot of work. And I was finding that with the discard, I was having such a hard time throwing out the discard when gluten-free flour is so expensive. And yet I didn't have the time every day to use the discard to make something. Right. Right. So what kind of flour is the gluten-free flour that you would eat? Or like, sorry, what is the ingredient in gluten-free flour? Most of them are... Um, white rice, brown rice, and tapioca, and then usually some potato starch or potato potato starch is usually what okay. they are. Um, and there's a lot out there. I have found for most of what I make, the any one-to-one, whether it's Bob's Red Mill or um, Pillsbury has a one-to-one gluten-free flour mix. King Arthur has one. They all work really well. But for bread, the King Arthur bread flour is really the best okay so then in a bread machine are you using yeast with that yes yes okay okay and the bread machine is made it has a specific setting for gluten-free bread oh whoa yep oh wow so they're a lot more fancy than i have memories (laughs) of okay yep wow so that's a staple then so how often are you making bread every week um, I just started cause I was doing the sourdough and it wasn't working. So yeah. I, I would say the past month I've made a loaf a week. Um, the problem is I've been making it on Sundays when the whole family is here and the loaf <laughs> is gone. So I think what I'm going to have to do is make two loaves, one for everybody to eat for Sunday dinner and then one for the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So when the celiac diagnosis came around, were you already eating like all the veggies, all the meat and everything? So which was first, I guess, is my question. I would say we were still, we ate meat and veggies, but we had a lot of, um, a lot of carbs that went with it. You know, we'd have almost every night at dinner, the kids would have bread. Um, we, I grew up in a really large family and it was always like, eat a piece of bread, you know, that'll fill you up. You know, if we didn't have, you know, enough of the, of the rest of the meal. So I would say we ate a lot of carbs. So going gluten-free was hard in the fact that gluten is in everything. There's so much. So like I would make say chicken and broccoli for the kids. And so I would put the chick, I, you know, cook up the chicken and the broccoli and the onions and cook it. And then you'd put soy sauce in it. Well, the soy sauce has gluten in it. So we had to start, okay, well now how can we make this different? Almost every prepackaged, you know, even if you're going to buy like tiki masala and you're going to throw it over, over chicken, a lot of that has gluten in it. So we had to really change our whole diet and our whole way of thinking and we realized that we had to eat more of the meat and the vegetables because the other stuff was filled with gluten. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of like substituted the bread for other things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I want to hear more about your garden. So what are your plans then for for the new the next year? Well, I'm just starting to to kind of map it out. I haven't done a lot. I will say this past year, I bought like all these exotic seeds and I was going to, and I was like, purple, purple was my color this year. And I bought like purple string beans and purple tomatoes and purple, this, <laughs> nothing grew. It just, it didn't do well at all. My, trouble with purple stuff too. Like red cabbage. Nope. <laughs> yeah. It just didn't, it didn't do it. I did get some of the, the purple string beans and the kids thought they were great. Um, 
So this year, I definitely, I have the garlic in one. Um, I'm planning on, I want to do at least two or three raised beds of tomatoes because I know that's something that we will definitely eat. Okay. Um, I moved, so I had a an arch over one of the raised beds so that the green beans and the snow peas could grow up it. But it was taking up the whole raised bed. So now I've connected it to the two outside pieces of a raised bed and made an arch so it can grow up the raised bed. And then the other sides of the raised bed, I have space for other things. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I'm learning that you really can plant a lot more in a raised bed than what they tell you. You know, you don't have to keep the square foot, you know, one plant mm -hmm. per square foot. With some things I think you do, but with other things you can... Um, I think you can add a whole lot more. Like my my snap peas, I just shove a whole lot of the seeds down in the ground and they grow amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely haven't spent too much time planning it. My goal, you know, was, okay, let's get through the holidays and then I'm going to sit and I'm going to get out my planner and yeah. I'm going to figure everything out and we're going to start researching, you know, goats and what that's going to look like. And I think this year... Um, we had so many people that wanted meat birds and I just didn't, I raised 80 this year, um, meat birds. And we have so many people that want some. So I think in January, I'm going to take orders and I'm going to, I'm going to raise the amount of, um, that are needed. How and cool. so I think that'll be, that'll be really cool. Oh and my gosh. yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like raising meat birds. Um, I do not process them myself. Okay. We have someone who does it for $5 a bird. It's okay. it's not even worth us buying all the equipment for $5 yeah. a bird. Um, and so my garden, I haven't really pulled it together too much, but my hope is that it'll do much better than this past year. Yeah, that's, I think that's everybody's hope all the time. I know right. that's my hope, but yeah, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm wait, I'm very excited for January to just like sit, look at the seed catalogs, Yes, get everything, get it all planned out. Um, okay, so with raising meat birds, how I'm not very familiar with them. How long are they alive generally? It depends on the breed. So the first year, so we've done it four summers in a row now. This upcoming summer will be our fifth. The first two years we did Cornish cross, mm -hmm. which are like the typical meat bird. It's a Cornish cross. The problem is they grow super, super fast. And if you have a hot day, they just die. Their heart just gives out. They can't handle it. Oh. And so, yeah, they're, because genetically, they're not, I don't believe they're genetically modified, but as far as like, they're bred to grow really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't like that. I don't like that they grow so fast and that they, they're prone to die. And then a lot of times what will happen is, they get fast so big that their legs won't support them and then their legs will break. And so we did them the first year and they were fine, but we did have quite a few die. The second year we did Cornish cross and generally you only have them for six or seven weeks. I mean, that's how fast they grow. It's Whoa. really odd. Um, last year we ordered 75 birds from a hatchery and 40 came dead. And it was so sad. I opened up the box and all, all the little chicks had passed. Um, it, we had a cold snap and it just didn't, they just didn't survive. So I ended up buying from a different hatchery and they had a different breed called, I believe it's Freedom Reds. And uh -huh. so they're, they're a cross between a Cornish cross and the rain, the Red Ranger chickens. And so they don't grow nearly as fast they're very high in omega-3 and vitamins, hmm. and they're easier to pluck because they're, they have white feathers underneath, but they're, they're red. And so they don't get as big. They don't have the health issues that the Cornish cross do. And they take, this year, they took about 11 weeks to grow, oh. but they're delicious. They've come out so good. I will say they're harder to catch because the Cornish cross gets so big and fat that you can just walk in and pick them up. These we had to chase. <laughs> it definitely, we, we had to catch them, but they tasted so much better. 
And so I think from now on, I think it's called Freedom Hatchery and they're in Pennsylvania and that's where we bought them from. Okay. So chickens, like raising meat birds, that's probably, I don't know, I say this now, but in my head and emotionally, I think that's probably the only thing that I could raise for meat. How do you get through that day, that very bad day, emotionally? Like, how do you... It's hard. Um, The chickens, I don't get as attached as I used to with our steer. That was really hard. And our pigs, that was hard. Big, beautiful Um, eyes. I know, I know. I think for me, I'm really able to separate my layers and my meat birds. Like, my layers are my are my pets, you know, we go out there, we talk to them, you know, my husband has the cleanest chicken coop around. He's got mini blinds in there. He's got an automatic door. Like it's, it's the cleanest chicken coop I've ever seen. Um, there are pets, you know, and we really take care of them. The meat birds, when they're little, I, you know, we pet them and we hold them and I go out there and every week I take a picture to see, you know, and I document how much they've grown, but I go into it knowing that they're going to feed my family. And so we catch them, we put them in, we bought really nice chicken crates and we put them in there and then we take them to someone and he, he harvests them for us. Mm -hmm. Um, with the cows and the pigs, I cried, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever we would load them into the trailer, you know, cause for them, you know, for a steer you have for 18 months before you send them to the, to the butcher. So that's, you know, you've been raising them and some of them we bottle fed. You know, so it was definitely more emotional, but I do it knowing that for the time that they spend in our home, we are taking really good care of them. We love Mm -hmm. them. They're in a clean um, pen. They get loved. You know, they, they get treats, they get treated really well, knowing that they're going to give their life to, to feed us. And so Mm -hmm. um, that's how we look at it. We have harvested animals on our property, not my favorite thing to do. We have harvested chickens. Um, when we raised turkeys, we did have a, a mobile unit came and did it here at the house. And bummer, I had to work that day. <laughs> I wasn't home, so I didn't participate. But I think you you just have to get to the mindset that you give them a really good life until that they can give back to you. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's what I go through even with hunting, you know, cause I mean, yes, I didn't raise that animal and I really didn't interact with them much at all, but you know, they did have a wonderful life. They were doing what they naturally want to do. Right. And yeah, I mean, as long as you appreciate that animal and you use every little bit of them that you can, it, you know, it is just a part of life. And I, I truly do believe too, that everybody that eats meat they need to experience the process of butchering at least just to understand yep. where the meat comes from. Cause I mean, I know that most kids, myself included, you know, you grow up thinking that, Oh, a chicken just comes in a pack with plastic on it. Right. And you don't associate it with, you know, the fluffy little animal. And nope. Nope. yeah. I was a preschool teacher for quite a few years, and I can remember talking with my students and thinking, oh my goodness, they're not connecting that the chicken nuggets that they're eating and the chicken that they're eating is the same animal that is running around outside, or that the turkey that they, you know, in New Hampshire, there's always turkeys on the side of the road, that the turkey that they're seeing on the side of the road is what they're going to be eating for dinner, you know, and I think it's really important for them to see it. I think it's important for, and we've made our kids, you know, we don't force them to be part of it, but we have made them participate in, you know, okay, we're going to, everyone needs to help gather the chickens today, or everybody needs to help get the pigs into the trailer, you know, because I want them to know that um, it's all a cycle, you know, and they, you know, we treat them well and they give back to us and we treat them well and we give back, they give back to us. my daughter has hunted, you know, she's gotten a deer. My sons have hunted. My husband's a hunter. Um, again, is it sad? Yeah, it's a life. You know, I don't think it's ever easy to take a life. But I think that if you can just know that, you know, 
the cliche, it's the circle of life, you know, they, they Mm -hmm. give back to us. And like you said, we use as much of it as we can, right? you know, to support our family or to even, you know, help others. Right. Yeah. I know my, my husband keeps saying, well, you're not tagged out, meaning me, Mm -hmm. I'm not tagged out with a buck. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with any more deer at this point. So if we would, we would probably donate it. Do they have that in New Hampshire where you can, some processors? Yeah. Yeah, they do have that. We have a friend who seems to get so many deer every year and it just ends up that he ends up giving them away. You know, mm-hmm. he just donates it to to different places because he just has too much meat. Yeah. So, okay. So a question, what is your favorite way to have venison? Probably venison chili or venison um, spaghetti sauce. Mm-hmm. I agree. By my best. <sighs> oh, good. Yeah. Yep. We made the decision this year that like, the good cuts, quote unquote, like the back straps and tenderloins, those are the only pieces that we're going to keep whole this year. Everything That's, we're going to grind. We do the same thing. We yeah. keep the back strap my husband loves um, and a few good pieces, but for the most part, we grind it and we either make it into sausage or just, you know, ground venison. Sausage. Okay. Like what kind of sausage? <laughs> so that we've had the butcher do it for us, but I actually okay. have a friend who runs a farm in Northern Vermont that her and her husband do their own venison sausage. And she sent me the recipe oh. um, like a week ago. I asked for it with Ooh. the hope that my husband's going to get a deer. <laughs> um, so I will share it with you. Okay. Yeah. Cause I started like pizza weekly pizza night is one of our things. And so like I'm making my own crust. We have a salad with it. I'm growing that, but we always like to have pepperoni on our pizza. And I think it would be super cool if I could figure out a way to turn venison into like beef, quote unquote, pepperoni. Right. Yeah. But, so that I don't know. This was um, like ground sausage. Oh, okay. but that would still that would still be good on top of pizza. It would be very good on top of pizza. It would be very good. Huh. Yeah. But yeah. Well, Jennifer, you are is such an inspiration. I know that I am, I'm, asp- I'm aspiring to have all of the oh. things that you have going on. So do you have any piece of advice for somebody who is maybe starting their journey and they're just overwhelmed? Like, where would you recommend that somebody start? I, because we've done this and gotten overwhelmed and gone too far in, first do lots of research beforehand before you jump in. Um, you know, we've learned that living in New Hampshire, some chicken breeds don't do well in New Hampshire, you know, some different types of goats and animals don't do well in New Hampshire. So you have to really find, do the research for what, what grows best, what grows best, meaning both plants and animals in your climate. And then, um, don't do it all at once, you know, a little bit at a time you know, determine, okay, what, what are we going to do first chickens? And so, um, you know, we, we did our chicken and if you knew my husband, my husband's the type of person, if he's going to do something, he's going to do it right. And so the chicken coop, like I said, he has a chicken condo out there and it's beautiful. Um, it's, he's so funny. Um, but I would say just do your research and keep documentation. That's something that I didn't do very well. You know, today, knowing that we were having this conversation, I scrambled, believe it or not, to look back to my Facebook post to say, and what year did we do this? And what year did Uh we do that? I wish I had kept better um, documentation of everything. And so now with your your gardening journal, I have been, like I documented when we bought the hens and how old they were and um, when we got our first egg, you know, things like that. And I'll do the same thing with, with the garden, just really document what type of seeds, because I'll be, you know, I'll just kind of throw, oh, I'm going to grab this kind, I'm going to grab this kind, and I don't always keep a good track. And so this was the first year that I actually made a Google document. And I'm okay. a teacher, you know, like I'm a SPED director, I, I'm really good with this stuff at work. But at home, I haven't kept track. And this was the first year that I kept really good records on our meat birds. And I made a Google Doc and how much, when did we buy the feed? And how much did we buy? And what did it cost? And you know, and I broke everything down. So when we're all said and done, I had a really clear picture of what it cost me to raise the birds. Okay. And so that's my goal this year. And I would encourage anybody just 
just really keep good documentation because it'll help you for the next year. Because you trust me when you say, oh, I'll remember, <laughs> you're not gonna. Yeah, you're never gonna remember. I'm glad that you said that because one of my goals for 2024 is to, and this goes outside of homesteading, but like to document just all of the the cool stuff that my husband and I do, but also most homesteaders do. Because as a homesteader, you're into so many things. You know so many skills. And like, <laughs> I know that when we talk to quote unquote normal people, their jaws kind of drop. They're like, you do all that stuff. And so I just want to document like all the cool stuff that we do. You I, know? Have to, I have to say I was drawn to your, to your Instagram because, you know, I work at a school. I go to school dressed nicely every day. My nails are always done. My makeup's always on. Color. You know, yeah, I noticed that very, <laughs> you know, and I, but I also love the farming aspect of it. And people will say to me, you raise chickens. And I'm like, oh, totally love it. Or you do this. And I'm like, yeah, we love it. And so as a matter of fact, for years, people would say, why? And we would say, why not? And we ended up naming our farm, the why not farm. Aww. Because everybody would say, why are you doing that? Well, why not? You know, we have the property, we have the time, you know, we want to do it. And so I think it's really, you know, I'm 51. And I look back and I wish I had documented a lot more stuff. Um, this sounds ridiculous, but I'm thankful for Facebook because I can go back and say, oh, this is when we did that. Oh, but yeah. I encourage people to write it down, keep track of, you know, the good times and the hard times, because then you look and you see how you made it through it and what worked and what didn't and and you grow from it. Mm -hmm. oh, well, wonderful advice. And thank you so, so much, Jennifer, for being on the podcast. And who knows, maybe I'll, I'll probably have to have you back on maybe like after the garden season. And hopefully both of us can say that we had better success. <laughs> I would love that. And I, ho I hope so too. Well, thank you very much, Jennifer. And yes, I will talk to you then. Great. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too. Bye-bye. Oops, I stopped. Thanks for listening to the Girly Homesteader podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. I'll talk to you next week, but until then, I hope you grow and flourish in all the ways that make you, you.